0: Good morning. I'm excited to be here with you. I, uh, I tell you what, uh, the worship here, every time I come here, uh, I, I play basketball in high school and any sports. Anybody who played sports, they they all have their music that they listen to to just get, you know, jacked up real good before the game gets started. And and you always have that guy in the locker room that's just going nuts. I mean, you think he's going to tear the locker room apart. And then you always have that guy in the locker room that's just sitting in his corner with his earphones on, not really moving. You're not even sure if this kid's awake and ready for the game. And and that was me because I I just looked a fool when I tried to do anything else. And um, uh, but on the inside, I was a ball full of energy. And uh, that's how it is, man, just worshiping with you guys. I I love that music. It just, it gets me jacked up. Uh, I I got to preach at a church uh, that we're attending in in Kentucky right now. And the pastor uh, that is preaching there, he's a mentor of mine and a teacher of mine at the school. And he asked me to fill in for him on Wednesday nights. And they do kind of more of an intimate study, an intimate Bible study. He teaches like he was in a classroom and he opens up for discussion and and he, you know, teaches them. And I told him, I said, brother, I don't know how to do that. I said, when I open up God's Word, man, I just get excited. And, uh, and I told the congregation that. I said, if y'all got a, if you got a question, you're just going to have to yell because I'm going to get excited. And, uh, and they enjoyed that. And they, they said it was true. And uh, so, uh, if you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 with me. Luke chapter 18. Uh, I, I took a class this year and finished it up early in the year called Philosophy. And uh, yeah, amen. It, it, was a, it was a hoot. It was a laugh. Uh, you you want to figure out why mankind is so messed up, you take yourself a philosophy class and you'll, you'll figure out why we are the way we are. Um, but uh, philosophy does, it, it helps. It helps you to understand the mindset that you're dealing with in the world that we live in today um, and, and, that, and the, the issues that are clouding over our minds. And the whole thought of philosophy is to think rationally and critically about life's most important issues. That, that's the definition of philosophy, to think rationally and critically about life's most important issues. And, and so when I thought about that, and, and I sat there in my class while my philosopher, philosopher teacher droned on about some, something that I didn't understand, um, I thought about what is the thing that presses in on our minds more than anything else? What is the question that we have to answer? And I think it's very simple. I think each and every person in here has to answer the question... What happens when we die? What happens at death? How can I have security? How can I know that I know that I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die? I don't care what religion you're in. I don't care your, your philosophy on life, what worldview you take. If you really break it down, if you really come to it, they are answering one question. And that is what happens at death. What happens when we die? Because it's something we've all got to face. The, David said it this way. We are one step, one step away from death. Paul said it this way. Uh, every man is appointed once to die and then the judgment. Right? I mean, we're told over and over again that death is a real reality that you, you and I are going to face. And so when we come to Luke chapter 18, I I think we're going to look at this question of the question of eternity. If you want to label it or give it a title, the question of eternity or the question of death. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18, we're going to look at this rich young ruler. And all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew speaks about it in Matthew chapter 19. Mark speaks about it in Mark chapter 10. And they all have a different perspective that they're coming at. Matthew's perspective is admittance into the kingdom. When he uses this story of the rich young ruler, you can go back and look in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 20, and he talks about the admittance. Who will be allowed into the kingdom of God? When you look at Mark, Mark chapter 10 tells us about the attitude uh, that is required for the kingdom of heaven. What kind of mindset do you need to have? Well, today we're going to look at Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23, and we're going to look at the availability of the kingdom. Is the kingdom available to you and I? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's get started today. Dear Lord, as we come to you today, Lord God, as we open up your scriptures, God, we've had a beautiful time of worship and praise. God, we had a great Sunday school class. I sat in Brother Travis's Sunday school class and God, I'm, I'm, I'm excited uh, just for tonight, Lord, because it just lines up with what, I, what you've given me for, for tonight, Lord. And but God, right now we're in this moment. God, we're in this message. And God, we're in this Word. And so God, I pray that You would speak to each and every one of our hearts, starting with me, the speaker. God, I pray You cleanse me of any unrighteousness. God, any sin that I have uh, withheld from You, Lord, anything that I have held back in myself, God, cleanse me of it, perjure me of it, Lord. Let me decrease, Lord, that the Spirit might increase. And God, may I pray for our congregation, Lord. I pray for those that are here that have heard the word over and over and over again. God, I pray for the teenager who might be contemplating uh, suicide in their life. God, I pray for the older adult, Lord, that might be here, Lord, that is thinking about death as it creeps closer and closer to their doorstep. God, whatever situations that are going on, Lord, I know each and every one of us, we value life and we worry about death. But God, let us look into your word today. God, let us find security, God, in the words that you have for us. But God, also convict us. God, look into our attitudes. Look into our hearts. And God, how do we view the eternal security that you have to offer us? And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 starts this way. Read with me if you will. It says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, All of these I have kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus had heard these things, he said unto him, Yet you lack one thing. Sell all you have, distribute it unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. When we come to this, uh, this man comes with this question of eternity, this question of death. How can I know, Jesus, that I have uh, eternal life? How can I inherit this security? How can I know for certain that when I die, I will spend eternity with God? I'm sure you've heard of the analogy of the sword of Damocles. Uh, The story goes with the sword of Damocles that there was a ruler named Dionysus and he was a tyrannical ruler. Uh, He was mean to his people, but he was very powerful, he was very rich. And there was a man in his court named Damocles who uh, would constantly flatter the king with his words. Oh king, it would be so great to be in your shoes. It would be so wonderful to be the king. How great it is and all the treasures you have and everything, that, all the power and authority that's given to you. Finally, the king said, well, uh, if you think it's so good, let's switch places for a moment. And Damocles gladly walked up to the king's throne, sat down on the king's throne, uh, received all the benefits that was brought to him by his servants. But then he looked up for a glimmer caught his eyes. And above his head was a very sharp sword stationed right above his head. And there was nothing but a horsehair that connected it to the top of the ceiling. As he sat there, Damocles worried over and over again what is going to happen if that horsehair breaks and that sword falls? And all of a sudden, he couldn't enjoy everything that was in front of him. All the servants that bowed down to him, all the gifts that were brought to him, they meant nothing because he was constantly worried about what hung over his head. That, that expression is very, it's used throughout our society. We say it this way we're hanging on by a thread. We're hanging on by a thread. Right here, this man has this question hanging over him. Man, he's the perfect church member, isn't he? Look at verse 18. It says he was a ruler. Mark tells us that that he was rich, and Matthew tells us that he was young. Man, that's the trifecta. This guy's rich, he's a ruler, and he's young. Can you imagine the 10% tithes he would pay to our church? I mean, this is the man that we need. We need him in our church. And Mark tells us that he was urgent in his request. This bothered him. Mark tells us that he came running and knelt before Jesus with this question. He was earnest in his request. But I want you to notice, we're going to break this dialogue down because that's what this is. This is a dialogue between a man and Jesus. And today, God's Word, this is a dialogue between God's Word and us. And so we're going to break this down. We're going to look at the question this man has. That's the first point we're going to have. We're going to look at the question. Secondly, we're going to look at the initial response from Jesus. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the intentional response from Jesus. Okay? Look in verse 18 with me as we look into this question. Look what he says. He says, and a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, we've got to break some things down here. First of all, look at if you've got a pen or if you've got a, a highlighter, highlight or circle the words good master. Because everything, everything that's going to come from this passage relates to this idea that he calls Jesus the good master. In the King JV, they, they translate that, the word there, uh, didaskala, as master, but in most other versions that you will find, and, and in fact in the original Greek, it would have been understood as a teacher. Okay? As a teacher. Many people call Jesus teacher, don't they? Our society has no problem with Jesus being a teacher. Gandhi had no problem with Jesus just being a teacher. Muhammad has no problem with Jesus just being a teacher. And notice Jesus himself doesn't even deal with the issue of the man calling him a teacher. He he zeroes in on this idea of being good. And I spoke to you about this last time I was here. This is the word agathos. To be eternally, to be inherently in who Jesus Christ is, He was good. He was a good teacher. Jesus, everything that you say is true, is what this man's saying. Jesus, every time you answer a question, Jesus, it is perfect. Maybe this man had heard Jesus in Luke chapter uh, chapter 10 when he gave the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Maybe this man had heard that parable and thought, wow, the truth that that speaks to me today. Maybe he heard Jesus speak out of Luke chapter 15 when he talked about the prodigal son and the elder brother. Maybe he's heard Jesus speak over and over again and every time he goes home, every time he goes back to his house, every time he hears a message, he cannot come but to one conclusion and that is Jesus' message is perfect. It's perfect. And so he comes running to Jesus and he says, good teacher, perfect teacher. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. How many Sunday school teachers we got in here today? None that want to claim it. Okay, one. Thank you, Travis. I appreciate that. Okay. Wow, that's rough. All right. We got a lot of unclaimed Sunday school teachers in here today. Uh, my, since nobody else wants to volunteer, my wife, is, she's doing student teaching. Now I want y'all to ask yourselves: Have you ever had somebody come running up to you and say, "Man, you're a perfect teacher." Man, every time you tell us something, I mean, it's like liquid gold. Man, it is, it is beautiful. It is perfect. I take it home. I eat it up. Man, I just come back for more. You are perfect. You're perfect. No, no, I can promise you, I never told a teacher they were perfect. I, I, I never told a teacher they were perfect. But this man, I mean, that's his. He, he starts there. Okay? He starts there. Then look what he says. He says, you're, you're, a, you're a perfect teacher. Everything you say is wonderful. It's masterful. Okay? Then he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking the question here to Jesus. He's saying, hey, Jesus, I need to know what is it that I need to do? What do I need to physically do? What work do I need to accomplish? And and, in Luke's message here, it's a continual accomplishment. That that means I'm going to do it uh, right now. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it until I die, until I meet eternity, until I come to it. I'm going to do this one work and this one work, this one thing. It's going to guarantee me salvation. It's going to guarantee me salvation. That's what he's asking Jesus. That's the question that he has for him today. Uh, I would love to say that we don't ask that question to ourselves. I would love to say that we have enough spiritual insight and enough spiritual maturity to understand that uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of works, that there's nothing you can do. But here's what I understand about my own self, and here's what I understand about each and every one of you that are sitting in the pews out there today. You are wondering, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? What is it that God wants me to do? How do I know How do I know that just because I said a prayer when I was five years old, and just because my parents told me that I, I, I was sincere, how do I know? How can it be for certain? We all come with this question of the rich young ruler. And look at Jesus' response to this this first question. Verse 19 says, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, and that is God. So we go back to that idea of good master. Remember I told you everything hinges on this idea of good master. And that's what Jesus is going to attack first out of this man's question. And that's what Jesus is going to hopefully speak to you today. And God's Word is going to speak to you today. Uh, when we come to uh, Hillcrest, when we come to worship, when we raise our hands, when we lift our hands, and we say we're going to praise the Lord, we're going to have faith in God, we're going to, because He's all good, because He's all powerful, because He's perfect, we're going to stand here and do it. What do we mean by saying that? Because Jesus is here saying, He's saying, if what you're saying is true, if what you're doing, calling me agathos good, and if there is only one that is good, that is God, then that means I must be God. You see the connection being drawn here? Jesus is saying, if you're going to say that I'm good, that I'm the good master, that everything I do, teach, preach, everything I do, if I am am truly that, then what you're going to be saying is that I am God. Hopefully we're all comfortable in saying that. Uh, But today the question still weighs, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I know, Jared? I, I have this sword that hovers over me that the Word of God tells me that at any given moment my life could be taken from me. Job says the Lord gives and He takes away. At any given moment, the sword could fall, this judgment could fall, my sins could be called home, and my life will be taken from here. How can I know? How can I know? Well, let's look at Jesus' initial response. We saw the question. The question is if, I, if you are the good master, then what must I do to have eternal life? How can I experience eternal life? What, look what Jesus said, in verse 20 Thou knowest the commandments. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Now this idea of knowledge is the idea of head knowledge. Uh, Remember, this man's a ruler. Many people believe that he would have been a ruler in the synagogue, that he probably would have uh, actually taught the people, even at his young age. And Jesus is saying, you know this. You've been coming to Sunday school every single day. You've been coming to Wednesday night services, Sunday morning services, Sunday night services. You know this, you have a head knowledge of it. Follow the law. Continue to, to, to do the law. Do not commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And, and you might be asking yourself this question. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second, Jerry. Are, are you saying that we need to be legalistic? Are you saying that we need to be like the Old Testament? Do we need to continue to follow the law? Uh, the law, uh, according to Paul out of Romans, the law, it exposes our sin, right? The law does not call sin. The law was given to us for life. If you go and you read Deuteronomy, Moses finishes Deuteronomy by saying, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. Do the will of God. Do the law of God so that you might have life. The law brings us life. Doing the law of God will not bring death on you. What Jesus is saying here is not contradictory to what we believe. In fact, we as Christians, once we are saved, we ought to be working towards doing the law of God. The law of God ought to be playing itself out in our lives. It ought to be consuming us in everything we do, and everything we say, and everywhere we go. And what Jesus says here in the initial response is, you have the head knowledge. You know exactly what you need for life. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of us in here don't need me to walk you through the ABCs of salvation. Admit, believe, confess. You you don't need me to give you a a, a thorough indoctrination of what it means to admit that you're a sinner and to believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to confess Him as your Lord and Savior. That's all it takes for salvation. You've been learning that since you were knee-high to a grape. At least if you've been coming to this church, you have. You have a head knowledge of it. You know exactly what you need to do. Jesus' initial response speaks to the heart of this man's question. Hey, just follow the law of God. God's law, God's word was given to us. Not so that a way it would bring death into our lives, but it was given to us to expose how far away we are from what He actually wants us to do. The initial response talks about a head knowledge. Verse 21, look what He says. Look how He responds to this initial response. He says, and He said, all these have I kept from my youth. All of them. All of them, Jesus. All these things you just told me to do, uh, not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. All all these things, the law, I have kept them. And, And a lot of people will say, man, he lied there. Most certainly he did. Most certainly there's no way he kept every single law. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. You know that? 613 laws, 613 things that God tells us to do or to not do in the Old Testament. And this man's saying, I kept every single one of them. Is he insane? I mean, is he crazy? Well, no, you've got to remember the culture that he's living in and the time frame that he's living in. Uh, see, to, to the Jew of that day, there were laws that were very, very important, right? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That that, that was a must. I mean, if you don't love God with everything you have, if you aren't willing to follow Him, if you aren't willing to commit uh, yourself to Him, if you aren't willing to sacrifice to Him like He's asked us to do in Leviticus, if you're not willing to just simply go through the motions uh, of what the law requires, man, there's no way you're going to get it. I mean, that was a big one, right? And, And Jesus even said you could wrap the whole law up in two of them, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's clearly what he's speaking about here. These are all things not really pertaining to God, but more with each other. The relationship with one another. And in fact, if we carry out our relationship with one another, then we will have no problem carrying out our relationship with God. That's what Jesus is pointing to here. And so what this man is saying is all of these important laws, Jesus, all of these big major things that you would tell me to do, everything that we see to be important, those things I have kept. Those things I have kept. All these minor ones, these ones that probably are questionable or, you know, maybe we just don't really follow them the right way. All those, those aren't the big ones. Those aren't the big deal. Those aren't the big things. That's what this man's saying. And so he's saying, I have kept all those laws, all these big major laws that you just mentioned, Jesus. I have kept those. And so when we look at this initial, uh, when we look at his question, we look at this initial response, I I want you to look at yourself. I want you to look at uh, what are the big laws to you. Our church is really big on show up, you you need to be here Sunday morning, you need to be here Sunday night, you need to be here Wednesday night, you need to be here for the revival, you need to be here uh, for the bluegrass singing, uh, you need to be here for, I mean, whatever it is, if our doors are open, you need to be here. That's a big law for us, isn't it? or at least some of us, it's a big law for us, okay? Just like some of y'all are evidently not Sunday school teachers, so. Uh, but that, that, that's a big thing. Uh, the, the, the Word of God is perfect. It's inerrant, it's infallible. That's something our church will go and die for. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big law to us. You either accept it or you ain't a part of this congregation. Now, what about those little ones? What about those little ones that say, go, uh, go ye into all the world baptizing and making disciples? Amen. I was talking to Addison the other day. And the youth is starting to, to go out and do an outreach. I don't know if y'all know that or not. Our youth are doing door to door outreach. Amen. I asked him, I said, How many people showed up to do door to outreach? Total, not just the youth, total. He said, 28. We had 28. We 28. You do the math on that. How many members do we have? 3,000? 3, 3,000 on our books, maybe 1,000 here, maybe a little less than 1,000 here. But when we do door-to-door visitation, we had 28 show up. What does that tell you? That's a little lot to us, isn't it? You'd say, no, 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 Jerry, that's, that's a big thing. We need, to, we need to go out and we need to evangelize and we need to go knock on people's door. But yet when we put together a time, when we as a church try to put together something that we can actually go out and be a witness and be a testimony, we have 1% of our congregation or less show up. That's a little thing to us, isn't it? It's a little thing to us. See, it's not that we don't have the knowledge. It's not that we don't know that we need to do those things. It's just that they're not the most important ones, right? I mean, we do that, don't we? We have this list of this is what I must do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm comfortable with. And then we have this other list over here that says, these are things that I should do probably. These are things that would probably be really good if I went ahead and did them. But you know what? If I don't do them, they're not really a sin. I'm not really breaking God's law. I'm not really sinning against God. That's exactly what this man has done. He separated the law of God. He separated into the, these are the things I must do, and as long as I do these, I'm good. And these are the things that I don't have to do, but if I do do them, they're okay. And so I do all these, so I have kept the law. I have kept the law. That's his initial response. Can I tell you this? I can almost promise you. I can promise you. There's some in here uh, that, that have probably... Uh, gave an initial response to Jesus Christ. Uh, they know that that's what our congregation expects of you to do. They know that you're supposed to walk down the aisle, say a prayer, and, and, and confess of their sins. And they have the knowledge and they understand that this is the way of salvation. And they know it. They truly do know it in their minds. Uh, but you know what? They're, they're just going through the motions. It's not really in the most important category. It's in the things that, man, if I do it, I'm going to fit in with this crowd. I'm going to fit in with this church. I'm going to fit in with this group. And so I need to do it. I, I, I'm telling you, if we had really sold out believers, if we had people who really claimed that would run to Jesus' feet, kneel down like this man has said, and call him the good master, if we really believe that, if we really live that way, we'd have more than 28 showing up going door to door. We have more than 28 showing up going door to door. So we see the question, we see the initial response. Now here, here I want you to see the intentional response of Jesus. Jesus hears this man just like Jesus hears your heart right now. Jesus knows what's going through your mind. Jesus understands how you have so much head knowledge, but maybe it hasn't really hit the intentions of your heart. It's not playing out in the circumstances of your life. Look, verse 22, it says, Now when Jesus heard these things, He said unto him, Yet you lack one thing, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have, distribute it unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, Follow me. This man asked for one thing he could do, didn't he? Didn't he? This man said, hey, what's what's the one thing, Jesus? If I do this, I am guaranteed eternal life. And some people get caught up at the very beginning of it where Jesus says, hey, go sell everything you have. Go sell everything you have. Some people get caught up in the second part of it that says, hey, distribute it to the poor. Give it to those who are more, uh, less, uh, less fortunate than you that need it more than you do. But really, the, the, the commandment, the one thing that He can do is found at the end of the verse where it says, and come and follow Me. Come and follow Me. See, Jesus understood that this man, even though he understood the law, even though he had a mindset, he understood how to obtain salvation, he did not ever have the intention of actually keeping it. You understand that? He didn't have the intention of actually keeping it. This man was rich, this man was wealthy. And this man claimed that he was God. That's why Jesus deals with his idea of being the good master. If I am God, if I am truly all that good, if I am perfect, then you will have no problem going home, selling all your stuff, giving it to the poor, and coming back right here on my uh, coattails and following me where I'm going. That's what the man, that, the, Jesus said. You want guarantee of salvation? You want to know 100% that you're saved? You want eternal security? You've got to give it all to me. If I'm truly God, if I'm truly the good master, if I'm truly the good teacher, then you don't have a bank account. You don't have a house to go home to. You don't have a car that you're driving. These are all things that I've just given you that are expendable. Now listen, don't go home and sell your 401k, okay, and say, Jared said that the only way I can have eternal security is if I sell all this stuff and, and then come and live at the church. That's not what I'm saying. But listen, the the intention of this man's heart is tested here. The intention of this man's heart is tested here. And I can go ahead and promise you, if there is something that you hold on to that is more valuable here on this earth, if there is something that you will not let go of, if there is something that God is calling you to do, but you won't do it because you have, I don't care if it's a little bit of wealth or a little bit of wealth, or if it's a family member that you aren't willing to turn over to God. If you don't have that in your life that you're willing to say, God, whatever it is you give, you take away, then let me tell you something. It's going to, you will struggle the rest of your life with the idea of eternal security. You'll struggle for the rest of your life. Because here's what I understand. If God is inherently good, like this man's saying, if Jesus Christ is inherently good, then He's not, he's not going to bring me to a point that, that, that it just totally uh, destroys me. He, he, he's, not, he, he's not going to... Uh, if this man were to sell everything and were to come and to follow Jesus, he would have hard days ahead. He would have trials that would come along his way. He wouldn't live in the nice mansion that he had. But you know what he would be doing? Jesus Christ would be feeding him day by day. The problem is we don't want to live that kind of life. Uh, we come to church every day... Uh, We have the knowledge in our heads. We have the ideas. We have the initial questions we want to ask. We have our checklist out, the things that we want to get accomplished and get done, feel good about. And then when we go back home, we sit in our big, nice Uh, recliners with the air conditioner that blows behind us uh, and we turn on the TV and we consume ourselves with whatever entertainment whether it be sports or a TV show and all this stuff and all the while right across the street right next to us is our next door neighbor that's lost dying and going to hell that you haven't spoke to in 25 years I'll give you an example in my own life yesterday or uh, Actually, last week, when I came last week to, to watch the nursery and in the, in the little guys, um, on Saturday, me and Dad were out walking uh, my, my dog, Cisco. Uh, and Dad and Cisco, well, Cisco was walking Dad, and I was just making sure they didn't get in trouble. And we were walking around the house, and Dad's shrubbery and Dad's bushes were overgrown. They were, they were growing all over the place. And so I said, dad, I said, when I come back next week, I'll wake up early Saturday morning. I'll get the, I'll get the thing, the, the, the clippers out and we'll clip this and take care of this for you. Well, we can, you we continued walking down, down the road and our next door neighbor, the lady right next to us, a little old lady comes walking out and she says, Randall, Randall, is this your son? And dad says, yes, this is my son and introduces her to me. Now, mind you, I've lived next to this woman for 20 something years. Listen to the point of the story, though. I don't know her name, and she doesn't know my name. And she asked me, she said, uh, uh, Dad introduces me to her, Miss Nancy, this is Jared, Jared, this is Miss Nancy. And, and, and she says, my, my hedges here, they've overgrown. And I need somebody to clip my hedges for me. Would you mind clipping the hedges for me? Would you mind cutting the hedges for me? And I said... Well, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I mean, you can't tell a little old lady no. And anybody that knows me knows I hate yard work. I was just doing it for Dad to be nice. And... <clears throat> but this little old lady, she asked me, she said, will you clip my hedges? Will you take care of the hedges for me? And so I said, yes, ma'am, I'll do it. And so I told Dad, I said, well, Dad, we're going to have to push your hedges off another week. Uh, when I come back next Saturday, I'm going to have to wake up early in the morning and go, cluck, cut, go cut her hedges. Now, to play in, into all of this, uh, their family has a dog as well, and they don't really like obeying the leash law. And that dog will come out and try to fight Cisco, and, and, and Cisco doesn't Cisco don't take no guff, man. He'll fight you. And, and so they, they'll get into it, and, and at one point in time, Dad even tripped and failed. Dad tripped and fell. Now, you want to get me on a fighting side? When I come home, let me know that my dad tripped and fell because your dog wasn't on a leash. And I went over there in the flesh, and man, I chewed that old man out when I heard about that. So now, here I am. I've already guaranteed that I'm going to come cut this lady's hedges, who I have not talked to in 20-something years, even though I lived right across the street from her. And I've already chewed out her old man, so you know there's bad blood there. I mean, this is going to be a wonderful, Holy Ghost-filled experience. Are you feeling me? So Saturday morning I woke up and I got my hedge clippers ready and I went over there and, and me and dad went over there and we cut this lady's hedges and the lady came out and her daughter came out and they were just talking to us and we had a great opportunity and you know what? I listened to my dad witness to them. I listened to my dad witness to them. And, and then when I got the opportunity when, when they said, here, let us pay you for this and I said, no ma'am, I don't, I don't want to accept your money. I, I want you to know that the Lord I follow, the Lord that I trust in, tells me to love my neighbors. And my neighbors aren't just my family. My neighbor is you, who I haven't spoke to in 20, 25 years. We didn't get to finish all of her shrubbery. I've got to go back and actually finish it again. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? We walked away from that, and God taught me a valuable lesson there. God taught me a lesson that I think He's trying to teach us here, and He's trying to teach this man. Hey, if, we're truly, if you're truly the God that I say you are, if you're truly all good and if you're truly all loving and if you're truly all that I say you are, then I'm not a, I should not have a problem letting go of anything that's here on this earth so I can carry out your will, whether it's someone that I love and is my family member or whether it's someone that I can't stand and doesn't deserve my mercy and my grace because you gave me your mercy and your grace that I don't deserve. And so I'm going to intentionally carry out what you asked me to do. If you want to have eternal security, if you want to know for certain that you're saved, it's not enough just to have the knowledge of it. It's not enough to quote verses. It's not enough just to know the ABCs. You've got to be intentional in your carrying out of that process. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you the Word of God's example here, and then I'm going to tell you another example, and then we're going to go into a time of invitation. Look at verse 35. Look at verse 35 of chapter 18 in Luke here. Look what it says. I I, I love this story, and I love the parallel that these two lives make here. We saw the rich young ruler there, right? What does it say after after Jesus tells him this? Sell everything you have, come and follow me. It says that he was in deep sorrow. That means every facet, every part of his being, his psychological being was upset and distraught because now this sword hangs over his head, and he can see no way out because he loves this more than he loves the man. Man who he calls God. He, he, he's emotionally distraught. He's physically sick to his stomach because he really, really wants this eternal security, but he's not willing to let go of this life on earth to obtain it. I mean, every facet of this man's life is in, the, is in a state of distraught when he leaves here. But look at this. Verse 35. Look at this. Listen to this. I love this. Look. It says, And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging, Hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. Look at this, verse 38. And he cried out saying, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they that went before him rebuked him and told him, hey, be quiet. Shut your mouth. You're not worth his time. You're not worth his mercy. But look what it says. And so he cried out that much more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And look at this. And Jesus stood. Jesus stood and Jesus commanded. Y'all ain't getting this. Y'all ain't getting excited like I'm getting excited. The creator of the world, the one who has been eternal. The one who has come to earth to offer salvation freely to all men. And in fact, if you want to know where Jesus is heading when he's in Jericho, go back to Luke chapter 9 verse 51 and it says that he set his mind towards Jerusalem. He set his heart towards Jerusalem. Jesus is marching to the cross where he's about to be beaten, where he's about to be bruised, where he's about to be put on an old rugged cross. Why? Not because of anything he did, but because of your nasty life and because of my nasty life and because of a whole world's terrible life. He is marching towards Jericho. Here's this blind man who has nothing to offer, has nothing to give. He doesn't have the riches of the ruler. He probably doesn't have the youth of the ruler. He probably has nothing that the ruler could offer. But here he is and he doesn't have to have ask a question. He has no questions. He simply cries out, Jesus, Jesus have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And what I love about this is whenever the God of creation, the great I am who's self-sustaining, who needs nothing, whenever He hears those words, have mercy on me, it stops Him in His tracks. Yep. Stops Him in His tracks. Me too. And then it offers, He offers a command. Hey, bring that one to me. Amen. The whole multitude, the whole crowd's telling Him to shut up. Keep your mouth get, Don't you know? You're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing yourself. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Jesus stopped. Commanded. Commanded. I'm not not taking another step. I know I'm going to the cross. I'll be there. I'll get there when I get there. But for right now, you bring that man to me. And then look what he says. Look what he says. Not only does he say that, but look what... Verse 40 says, And Jesus stood, and Jesus commanded for him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What will you have me do unto you? Now what did the rich man ask? The rich man said, Hey, what can I do for you, Jesus? What can I do for eternal life? What, what work can I do? But look, when the, when the beggar said, Hey, have mercy on me. i got nothing to offer. i got nothing, man. I, can, I don't deserve it. What does Jesus say? Hey, what can I do for you? Amen. Hallelujah. What can I do for you? Hallelujah. Hey, you see, this, you see this beautiful creation? With the, my words, I created it for you. You know the breath that breathes through your life? I created it for you. You know the blindness that's on your eyes that you can't see? Guess what? I know about it. I know every hair on your head. I know every issue you've gone through. I heard every word of that crowd that told you to stop crying out to me. I know it all. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? And listen to what this man says. Listen to what he says. He says, verse 41, saying, what will I do for you? And he said, Lord, Lord. This man didn't call Him a teacher. Oh, Jesus, I love Your teachings. I love Your Word. But You're so much more than a teacher. Lord, that I might receive My sight. And verse 42 says, and Jesus said unto him, listen, in the Greek, this is one word. Receive thy sight. In the Greek, that is one word. That is one word. Basically, Jesus said, see. 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 Look, verse 43. And immediately he received his sight and followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave glory to God. So immediately he got his sight. So, th- I mean, get this picture. Y'all ain't getting excited like I'm getting excited, okay? Uh, but most of y'all still don't know your Sunday school teachers. <laughs> so, Jesus says, see. I want you, uh, what can I do for you? Jesus, I want to see. See, and the Bible says immediately he received his sight. So, I believe as soon as the word s, came out of Jesus' mouth, and by the time he got E, out. This man's eyes opened and the very first thing that he ever saw in his life was the beautiful face of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now I want y'all to listen to this. We're going to go in the invitation. When I was 25 years old, I was the rich young ruler. When I was 25 years old, I was the rich young ruler. I wasn't rich wealthy wise, but I had everything going for me. The Lord gave me a mind that can comprehend things. that I, 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 I went through high school, got A's and B's, and never brought a book home. Don't ask me how, but it worked. I had everything going for me. I was young. I had a good job. Was about to marry a beautiful wife. I had everything going for me. I had the head knowledge. I was teaching Sunday school class. I was a seventh grade Sunday school teacher here at this church. You know what happened? When I was 25 years old, sitting in this pew back here, I'm going to come all the way back here, this pew right here, we were having revival. We were having revival. And God spoke to my heart and said, Son, if you were to die, there is a sword of Damocles, there is a sword of hell that is hanging over your head. And it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, it doesn't matter how big and bad you think you are, it doesn't matter how cool you think you are, it doesn't matter about where you think you're going in life, you have a sword of hell hanging over your head with a string that is attached, with the only reason why that string hasn't fallen on you is because of my grace. And I sat right here, I sat right here and that invitation hit. And Jesus walked right on by. He went straight down to that altar. You say, did you see Him? No. No, but my spirit spoke to me within my... and said, this is your opportunity. You know what I did? I said, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, I don't deserve it. Jesus, i got nothing to offer you. From the time that I was sitting as the rich young ruler, by the time I got down here, I was nothing more but a blind beggar who didn't know where he was going that just needed a Savior to say, see, and I could focus my eyes on the face of my Lord and Jesus Christ. And since that day, can I tell you what? Since that day, my bank account's not as big as it used to be. I don't wear as nice clothes as I used to be. This is the same suit that I've worn many times that I've been here. I don't drive a nice vehicle. I drive a, the same vehicle that I drove when I was 25, same vehicle I drive. You know what? Nothing in this world, nothing in this life has, has really changed except for one thing. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was an arrogant young ruler asking God, God, what do You want me to do for You? And now I'm nothing but a beggar in the presence of a king saying, Lord, have mercy on me. And every time I come to Him and every time I fall before Him and I say, God, have mercy on me, He is faithful and just to always stop, command everything in my life to stop clamoring around me, the voices that are in my head telling me I'm not worth anything. And He looks down at me and says, Child, what can I do for you? You want eternal security? You want to know that you know that you know that you're saved? Stop asking God what you can do for Him. Just simply cry out in Mercy. Just simply recognize that the wealth that's in your bank account, that the good deeds that you think you're doing plugging along on this earth, all of that is nothing until God is in it. Until He comes into your life, commands you to see, takes you from darkness into the light, you'll walk through the rest of your days wondering, looking up at that sword that hovers over your head. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.